You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel, and today I have a guest that is calling in from quite far, uh, Jasmine. Jasmine, uh, I have been following her on Instagram for quite some time. She is uh, the owner of Three Minute Montessori. And if I'm not mistaken, you are calling in from Singapore. That's and I right. just want to, yes, I would just want to say a big welcome and thank you for taking the time. I know it's morning for you, it's evening for me, but uh, we made it work because I just wanted to have a conversation with you mm-hmm. around, you know, the work that you do and uh, how you came to. Uh, work with Montessori and, and so forth. So welcome. Thank you, Jean-Marie. Okay, so as I like to start with all of my guests, I would like you to define what the art of parenting means to you. So that's a great question to start with. And being a former literature major in college, my first instinct was to go check the dictionary for what artfulness means. And the definition I found wasn't quite what I expected. It refers to someone who's adroit and skilled in using um, deceptive means. And I don't think that is what the art of parenting is, especially not when we're talking about Montessori, respectful parenting. For me, the art of parenting is basically that combination of your gut instinct and learned skills. You may not have them you know, as a first-time parent or as an expectant mom, but there are things that you can read about, learn from experts, and develop in yourself. And most importantly, I think the art of parenting is something that's so unique to each individual that you have to bring whatever gifts and interests you have to the table. You should not forget yourself and your preferences in this journey of parenting. Well, that is beautiful, Jasmine. Just so much about you know instinct and then, and yeah. then evolving into this role that we have. Yes. When we parent, that is they're beautiful. Thank you. So tell tell us a little bit more about who you are and and kind of how you came to do the work that you are doing today for for yourself and for parents worldwide. <laughs> I'd love to, Jean Marie. Um, so I began my Montessori journey like so many moms. I think reading up on blogs when my child was nursing at three a.m. in the morning. And um, I have two children, they're five and a half and seven now, and I've raised them the Montessori way since birth. And I fell in love with the pretty pictures on Instagram. Well, I didn't have Instagram back then. I fell in love with the pretty pictures on Pinterest and on blogs. And I read and I read 
and I did that whole vicious cycle on Amazon where you cart things, you cart wooden toys, you take them out from the cart, you put them back in again. So that was me as a first-time mom. <laughs> and um, but there came a point when the blogs and the social media weren't enough. And I felt like my learning and my understanding of Montessori and of parenting had plateaued. And that's when I signed up for AMI training as an assistant for three to six. The AMI training was at Maria Montessori Institute in London, United Kingdom. And in one word, it was transformative. It was so transformative being able to see the changes in my children that my husband became a convert. And both he and I signed up for AMI six to 12 assistant training that summer. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. I know it's funny. I know other couples who have done the training together. I think it Mm. it is when you say transformative, I think it's transformative also for just who who we're becoming and kind of an awareness of of our role and humanity and such. That's beautiful. Beautiful. So so you you were living in London or you you actually went to London to do this training? Um, We had to relocate to London. For my okay. husband's further okay. studies, and okay. that's where we did the training. Oh, perfect! That was that was convenient. Perfect. That's what I did. And how old how old was your was your eldest when you were doing the training? Four. Four. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's funny. That's about that's about mine. My my second one was four when I did the right. three to six training. Right. So so then after your your training, what 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 ensued after that? And after that, um, I wanted to share what I had learned about Montessori. As an assistant, whatever we learned was to support us in helping children in the classroom. But I realized that there was a significant amount of translation that needed to be done from the assistant training to everyday parenting. And that was when I started thinking about the things that we could share and the practical, beautiful, simple solutions that we could teach parents that were authentically and yet imperfectly Montessori. And that was when I began um, conducting courses, workshops, coaching clients, and it's been such a great privilege and honor because these parents are incredible. Yes, and that's beautiful. And, And I just love how you say, you know, translating it to mm. to the parents because I know mm. for myself, uh, after having done the training and worked in the classroom, and you know, parents asking they're 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 avid for information and they're wanting yes. to know how they can better support their children. I realized that you know the the information that that you and I gain in 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 trainings like that are. It's sometimes lost on the parents. Like we we yes. want the parents to know the same thing, and I, yes. and I just love that. That's you know, at least from from the little bit I know of you through through your post and everything. Mm. You're 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 quite an educator. So <laughs> I I really want to say that that's that's a wonderful way to kind of give back when we've learned something that we see makes such a big difference it really for does. our children and ourselves. Absolutely. So yes. Yeah. So I would love if, if, and, and I know also you, you, you know, talk a lot about simplifying and such, mm. and I know order is very important 
in, mm. you know, in the Montessori communities and the Montessori home. Yes. But I, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about when you say, you know, creating those spaces for children, the, the, the aspect that you bring to it is really that minimalism and, and really mm. simplifying it. Um, yeah. If you could maybe, I don't know, elaborate on, on two or three things that a parent listening today mm-hmm. could simplify their, their environment for themselves and, and their children. Absolutely. Um, I think the first thing to address is that minimalism for parenting and for your family home does not mean total emptiness. I think we get mm-hmm. scared when we see these very zen, empty spaces, countertops with nothing on them. And that's really not what minimalism is going to look like in your home. I think minimalism is more about having enough order so you know what you need. And what you need is easy to get. It's at arm's reach. So you're comfortable in your home and your children know what to access and where to access things. Um, I think minimalism is very compatible with Montessori because of that principle of limitation. In the classroom, there's only one of each type of work, and it's limited so that one child gets to work with it at one time, other children have to wait, and when there's only one, there's that scarcity. It becomes precious, and it tends to foster deep concentration. And I found the same in the home, that when we limit the number of toys that's available to them, when we reduce the types of toys that might have similar functions. For example, do you really need three shapes sorter cubes for one child? <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll find that the less you have, the more your child might concentrate on each item. I think a couple of years ago, Jean-Marie, there was this news article um, about a study done in the United Kingdom where the researchers discovered that a child in a family home had on average 260 toys. Oh my goodness. And the average, yeah, yeah. And it's not something that you realize, you know, you don't take a sense of all the stuff that you've been given. (laughs) But the average number of toys that the child touched or played with in one day was 12. 12 out of 260 toys. So there is, a lot of space for us to be able to bring a little bit of minimalism into our homes and your child will reap those benefits because the environment is clear and when that's clearer your child can think more clearly i mean i think the same applies for us adults too that's definitely one. definitely yes the second thing is i think we've been we've been sold too well by all this by all these marketing gimmicks that tell us that these toys promote creativity and imagination. But the truth is that imagination resides in the child, not in the toy. Your child was born with all of the potential that he needed to develop in this world. And so even if you have fewer toys or if you have no toys at all, and if you just rely on practical real world experience, practical life, as we call it in Montessori, your child will thrive, your child Will get to where he needs to on his own. Yes, beautiful. And the last, <laughs> I'm sorry, the last thing that I, <laughs> the last thing that I really wanted to say about minimalism is that minimalism doesn't just apply to our space. It applies to the time that we provide to our children. Do they have sufficient outdoor time? Do they have unstructured time? Do nothing time. So are we filling up 
their schedules with classes and enrichments and all of these things which may be very good to have. But at the expense of giving them this do-nothing time where they can really learn to concentrate and choose work of their own. Beautiful. Beautiful. You said so many, so many things here that, that <laughs> I just really you know, make so much sense. And, and I love when you say, you know, to have everything in place and at, at mm. arm's reach, Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, and it's funny because arm's reach is when I, when I'm coaching families to set up the nursery, mm. for example, you know, when, with the infants, it's true that you're the area where you're going to, you know, have the physical care for the newborn, yes. you want everything at arm's reach. Right. Same thing when you're sitting down to feed your baby, you want everything thing at arm's reach so it, totally. it's almost like a you know an evolution of that but you're you're creating that environment for you and your family um so that was beautiful and you also mentioned something uh that i'd love for you to elaborate this idea mm-hmm. of having preciousness you know fra- fragile items right. uh, also i mean you you mentioned precious in the fact that there was only one in the classroom mm-hmm. but i know that at home montessori you know really invites us to trust the child with fragile items with with you know beautiful precious items you know one of our fundamental human needs is that need for beauty beauty is not just skin deep it's not just superficial it is something that nourishes our soul and that is why maybe even me as a first-time mom i was so drawn to those montessori spaces on pinterest because they were beautiful And so when I think about offering children fragile objects, I think it communicates, number one, the trust that we have in children. And even before children are verbal, they can sense all of these things from their adults. They can sense that they are trusted, that they are empowered, and that gives them so much confidence that will stand them in good stead in the years to come. Fragile objects don't have to be expensive. Um, When I think of fragile objects, they could be artwork. And again, um, it doesn't have to be a specific kind of realistic, photographic quality artwork. It just has to be whatever you deem beautiful and put it at your child's eye level. I love that. Yes. Plant Plant care. Plant care is something that is done really often in the Montessori classroom. And it's just a beautiful thing because children learn to care for something, for a living thing in their environment. And when they are handling plants, they have to be very light in touch. So that's a lot of skill and a lot of delicacy that is required of a toddler. And yet they will surprise you because they absolutely rise up to that challenge. And and you also mentioned, you know, the idea that the less items we have, the better concentration, you know, our children will have. Mm. Why, why this emphasis on concentration? And, and I know the answer, but I would love for you to, to elaborate for, <laughs> for our listeners, because we yes. often talk about, you know, how important it is to help our children uh, focus and, mm. and, you know, be, be concentrated in, in their flow and I would love for you to yes. talk about how you preserve that at home, especially for, for parents of young children. The thing is, attention is a child's most precious resource. And yet, modern day parenting would have us believe that children have short attention spans and are easily distracted. So we should give them 
screens and toy after toy and flashing lights and loud noises. And that couldn't be further from the truth because as we have observed in Montessori classrooms, and you may have observed this with your own child, children are absolutely capable of concentration provided that it is something that they are interested in choosing right now. Right. It's, it's the fact that you say, you know, freely chosen. So it's this idea of giving them mm. choice. And I think that the way that you can preserve attention is to really do less. <laughs> I remember having a picnic with my then two-month-old nephew and his mom, and she put that baby on the picnic mat. There were trees rustling in the breeze above us, clouds passing by. And for 45 minutes, that two-month-old baby lay there, contented, transfixed by the motion of the leaves and the trees above him. The way that we can preserve attention is simply to do less. If children are looking somewhere, let's not tell them to look somewhere else. If children are in a museum and an art piece draws them in, let's not tell them there's something more interesting on the next floor. Let's not rush them along. Because to children, all these details are beautiful and they are worth closer inspection. Mm, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. I love going to museums with, with children because they do yes. they do admire the details and you can see that they're they're really taking yes. in the, the creativity and the beauty of it. Um, that's and don't you love the uh, the large scale artworks? Because the great things the great thing about those artworks they're usually a bit lower. Exactly. So they're at child's exactly. eye level. Yes, yes, <laughs> beautiful. Um, and and you you also mentioned earlier uh, this notion of practical life. So, for those uh, mm. listeners who who maybe don't know what that what that terminology mm. is and and such, how would you describe that in your home with uh, your your children? Practical life is life, <laughs> and um, basically it refers to any of the household chores that you might do, you might consider it a chore, but your child doesn't. To him, he finds pleasure and deep purposefulness in helping you and in helping himself becoming independent through caring for himself, learning to feed himself, learning to dress himself, and so on. So practical life in the home is very organic and it's probably going to be very collaborative at the start. You're probably going to do a lot of it for your baby and then eventually with your toddler. For me, practical life is also something that has to be tied to your culture and that brings your culture into the home. Um, washing rice was one of my then two-year-old's favorite activities to do. It is something that is both practical and contributes to the household, but it's also so therapeutic, you know, to put your hand in a, in a, in a pot of water and to stir it and to feel the rice grains swirling around. So there's something that can be very beautiful, and concentration inducing about practical life. It sounds like that that activity is everything that the child loves because it's that sensorial mm. that the feel and then mm. and then I know, you know, from from experience and observation, anything that has to do with water takes on great pleasure <laughs> with the young child. So so it Absolutely. sounds like a delightful <laughs> sensorial experience. Um and 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 mm. it's funny because I know I had kind of made a mental note to talk about the 
sensorial activities that that families do and that we Mm. do see you know like you say on social media instagram pinterest and such and sometimes i feel that there's a bit of wastefulness in some of these activities because Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we are uh using food for example rice like i see colored rice and things like that i mean to be honest i I struggle with that because my staple food Yes. And and so I would love for you to talk about that, because I think it's also this notion that for me, food is precious. So it's not something that we're going to play with and throw away, uh, mm. you know, is where where mm. where I know I'm coming from with with kind of activities that are, you know, with pasta, with rice, with with just things that are going to get thrown. Um, do you do you have that yes. same feeling like do you do activities because the the activity you just mentioned is a beautiful sensorial experience but it is purposeful it Mm. has a purpose it's going it's the preparation of you know that day's meal so it's that's where I like practical life for me too because there's always kind of this intelligent purpose behind it absolutely um, and I was coming along to say that very word. I think that what differentiates Montessori is sensorial and um, popular sensory play is that notion of, of purposefulness. And during this activity, the child not only enriches himself, he is tangibly contributing to the classroom community or to his family members. Right. Do you ever feel like you're doing this parenting thing alone, tired of searching the web for answers to all your parenting questions? Well, I've got you covered. You and I know it does take a village to raise a child, and I'd like to invite you to yours. Be the calm, confident, and peaceful parent you want to be with the support of my parenting membership community. Get all the support you deserve and create the family and home you've been dreaming of. In my parenting community, I share all the tools and strategies I've acquired over my many years of mentoring and helping families find their peace of mind and enjoy a stress-free family life. I've created this community for you to be the parent you want to be. Let go of the stress and overwhelm today and enjoy your parenting journey with your beautiful children. You both deserve it. In this community, you will find video tutorials that answer your parenting concerns and teach you how to support your child's healthy development. Monthly group coaching calls with me and all the other supportive members where I personally answer all your burning parenting questions. My parenting toolkit, which is full of resources that I've created over my many years of mentoring and speaking to parents and professionals worldwide. And what I love most about my parenting membership community is the amazing supportive village you can lean on. You and I know parenting was never meant to be done alone. So come meet your tribe in the supportive and encouraging village of like-minded parents. It's open 24 hours 7 just for you. Visit voilamontessori.com slash membership for more information and come join me today to become the parent you know you are meant to be. I would love for you to elaborate maybe on some ideas Mm -hmm. of minimalism, but more in the way of how to integrate the child in 
kind of that that order. I know you do. You've done a lot of work with Mary Kondo's work of you know the the items that spark joy. But I know she also does like a very particular way of folding and things like that. Do you involve the children in learning all of that as well? Well, yes. And I'd like to add that the very first thing that any family should do is to do a big and hard Mm -hmm. declutter. Because once you've gotten a lot of this stuff that wasn't working for you, and that was taking up space and, you know, even mental energy out of your home, you feel like you can start on a cleaner slate. One of the most important things that I do, that I introduce my toddlers to, was how to fold their clothes. For this reason, we don't have like a pretty clothing rack, um, but instead we just have a chest of drawers and each child has a drawer of folded clothes. And, you know, KonMari folding videos have a cult following <laughs> on YouTube. So you can check that out, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is, it is something that they can do for themselves and something that was very interesting because I think in her book, Spark Joy, KonMari mentioned how the act of folding is very repetitive. And in that repetitiveness, there is something that's very soothing and enjoyable for children. And I thought she was Montessori without yes, realizing Yes, yes, so true. Because we, we, it's funny, we do talk a lot about how the importance of repetition, that that is how the child learns mm. is by repeating. Yes. That's yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. And with regards to decluttering, um, with regards to decluttering, I think that if your child is under three and in the unconscious phase of the absorbent mind, you could take the responsibility for decluttering whatever is already in your home and being very intentional about what you let into your home in future. If your child is like three to six in the conscious phase of the absorbent mind, has longer recall, is going to ask you in a few months, mom, what do you do with this or that, then you may want to involve your child. For me, I have um, I gave each of my children an art file and it's their responsibility to file their artworks. But there is a kind of built-in control of error because once that file is full, no matter how they sit on it, how they compact it, they're going to have to empty some of it out so more new artworks can fit in. And so getting into that regular habit of decluttering is something that I think helps with the sense of order in children's minds. And of course, um, when they're 6 to 12 and they have that reasoning mind, then you may want to talk to them and collaboratively formulate a policy about how much work is out at one time and what the expectations are surrounding this. Mm, that's, that's, that's beautiful because basically you are creating the space for them to be in charge of, of maintaining the order that needs to be. So, so yes, that, that control of error, very important. Because we're not so much doing things for them as we are helping them to develop good habits that are going to last. What do you mean they're not, the, what do you mean they're not going to last? Oh, that, that are, are going, going to, last. to last. Right. So, so creating, <laughs> helping them create those habits uh, that are going to last. Yes, yes, of course. And when you say, you know, decluttering with your children, do you, other than the, you know, this folder for the artwork and things, do you have like systematic, you know, seasonal declutterings or is it something that you do uh, more regularly? Like how do you involve them with all of that? 
we don't have much of um, okay. a schedule, okay. but when the file is full, that's when, <laughs> that's when they know that they need to do something about it. And it's nice because I don't have to breathe down their necks and I don't have to nag and to remind Right, them. but I'm, I'm talking about more like around the house because I, I know that even mm-hmm. when we are mindful to, and, and it's funny because I'm actually, I've, I've put myself a personal challenge. We are in the midst of... Um, doing a, a kitchen in our home so we've had to em- we've had to wow. empty out the dining room and the living room and so it's it's completely oh, sparse wow. right now uh the rest of the house is a mess <laughs> but that that area is completely sparse. and it's funny because <laughs> I just love the empty space and I'm and I'm you know, I keep oh, on yes. telling my husband, I don't know if I want to bring much back in. And so it's going to be that <laughs> challenge of, you know, what do we bring back in that intention? But as you and I know, things do accumulate. So do you have like a kind mm-hmm. of a ritual every once in a while to to declutter the home or not? Or you're 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 good at keeping it at I a minimum that- all the time? So I had tried previous declut- I had tried other decluttering systems before I found Conmarie by mm-hmm. reading her book, and none of that had really um, worked for me over a sustained period of time. The clutter just kept coming back in. <laughs> um, but when I read Conmarie and I I implemented her system, I realized that um one big decluttering was all you need, and after that maybe every few months you can kind of do um um some kind of light maintenance of what you do have and it really doesn't become very difficult to maintain it but you have to get that one big decluttering right and and then it's just that intentional of what you bring into the home once you've done that bit yes Yes. beautiful and you know um houses being houses um families living in it clutter will accumulate again and what's more important is not so much that there is going to be clutter, but that there is a spot for each clutter so that order can be easily restored once you feel up to it. Beautiful. Yes. So so laying out that order from the, the beginning, and that's what I know mm. is so important for young children. Now, now I know that mm. you have, you know, you said you had a seven-year-old, so you're, you're entering kind of that, yes. that um, you know, that second plane we call of the, the, the child yes. has uh, is a bit different from from you know the younger child um, before six. Can you tell us a little bit maybe yes. for for parents who are listening, who you know have toddlers or or children that are you know five six and and going to be entering uh-huh. that uh, new phase in in childhood? How would you describe the the major differences? If I am to sum it up in one phrase, the whole focus of zero to six age group is to help me help myself but for the six to twelve age group that purpose is to help me think for myself maria montessori described the six to twelve age group as the greatest intellectual period and with my seven-year-old i see glimpses of that i think that as your child grows into the second plane, the six to twelve age group, um, you're going to see um, endless questions. Yes. <laughs> and because there is that burgeoning curiosity about how the world works, whether things are fair, yes. <laughs> about social responsibility. So you're going to see a lot of questions 
And the other thing is you're going to see a real kind of growth in the intellect through the way that he questions and the way that he thinks. And how do you then help this child to think for himself? I think one way is to fill your home library with solid finds so that you're not always the answer of his questions, um, but that you can point him to the encyclopedia or to the science journal or to the, the, the geography atlas so that he can learn to find answers for himself. Beautiful. And, and I just, I have to say, Jasmine, I just love that it's about books and it's about them kind of exploring those answers yes. and not us, you, you know, not us I, Googling it or asking I, yes. Siri for the, for the answer, <laughs> because no, it's true. I mean, today mm -hmm. the, the, the information is right there and we don't realize like how, mm -hmm sometimes with those reflexes that we now have of just you know asking your mm. phone for the answer is not helping the child kind yes. of explore that oh, that yes. you know that intelligence and and that that sense of wonder and and all of that so um i love that you yes. said that about um all the books wonderful and i mean again um Telling your child to check books that you have at home is not going to require much supervision from you, but checking answers on the search machine on your computer is right, going to require your right. supervision. Very good point. Yes, very good point. And I mean, there is, I mean, again, the principle of limitation, there is a place for technology in the Montessori elementary home. But I think that before that happens, the first resource should always be the written word. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Um, well, Jasmine, this has been wonderful. And, and I would love to kind of end with first, I, I'd like to ask you a more personal question. And then I would love for you to kind of, mm. you know, wrap things up and, and, and have some kind of words that you want parents to really hear and and you know, after listening to this podcast, but my, my most sure. pers more personal question is you said that you had a five and a half and a seven-year-old. So, so with your seven-year-old, mm -hmm. if you were to go back, uh, let's say eight years ago, when mm -hmm. you were expecting your first child, um, yes. what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? that there is no one best way to be a good parent. And, you know, you, you may have dreams and feel like you have to put your dreams and your career aspirations on the back burner because of this child that you're nursing day and night. You may feel like you've had to sacrifice a lot and to do it all with very, very little help today. But you can do everything that you wanted to, but maybe just not all of it mm -hmm. right now. And that every stage of life is worthy and beautiful, even though it's hard. And just to remember to enjoy your child. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Taking that time, it's it's definitely, um, it's funny. I was I mean, it's it's easier said than done, though. <laughs> you know, on the seat deprivation and yeah, all. And sometimes, yeah. you know, it kind of sounds cliche and, and, and all of this. But yeah. there's, there is some wisdom in that from those who who have been there you know where where we do realize that you know i for me it's like the childhood is a very 
uh, it's a moment in time, you know, and our child is, is kind of reteaching us how to be in the present moment, how to enjoy, you know, how to enjoy the moment. And I think it's precious, like, let's take advantage of it and, and really kind of live Mm -hmm. their childhood with them. Um, and then, and then yes, your, your dreams, your aspirations, you know, are, are just temporarily, on the back burner and maybe not all, you know, it's, you have to, to mm-hmm. just gauge, um, for sure. Beautiful. Any, any mm-hmm. kind of parting words that you would like to leave us with, uh, Jasmine today? Well, um, yes. So I was thinking a lot about, um, what Maria Montessori termed as the natural unfolding of the child and how my AMI training helped me to understand that we watch the child unfold and we do not impose our will on him. We cannot make him learn things any sooner than he's ready to. And the metaphor that I'd like to close with is that of a butterfly. A butterfly that's nestled in its chrysalis cannot be forced out, cannot be pushed out any earlier than it's ready. But when it is ready to emerge from its cocoon, it can soar and nobody can stop it. So I guess in closing, I wanted to share with your audience today, Jean-Marie, that we are so lucky as parents to be witnesses to the natural unfolding of our children. And that I'm wishing all of you the very best and an enjoyable journey of parenting. Mm, That's beautiful, Jasmine. I had a big grin on my face the whole time. That's just gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to to be with us today. And I will definitely put all of your uh, your website and Instagram handles and everything uh, right below the, the interview on the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jean-Marie. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones and do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.